How's everybody do this afternoon, I should say? You doing well? This side's doing very well. How you guys doing this afternoon? <laughs> right. Some of you are doing okay. Praise God. Praise God that you're alive, you're breathing. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Praise God for another day of life. We got to see winter and summer in the same day. It's pretty awesome in Indiana. Praise the Lord. And you know what? If you have a beef with the weather, think about this. If you don't like the weather, then you got a beef with God because he's the one who gives us the weather. <laughs> so I just say praise God for whatever weather he gives us. I'm excited this morning as we begin a brand new series of messages from the book of Ruth, six messages. So if you jumped in this morning, it's an incredible story of hope. It's an incredible story of, of a family that went astray because of a father and they made some decisions to get back right with God. And I would say it this way, as we look at this account today, for good to start, bad must end. For good to start, bad must end. There has to be movement away from these poor choices, these sinful choices, in order for us to go to God and see God do good in our lives. In order for bad to stop, good must come into place. You must make decisions. About three months ago, I got a call from a, a guy who had come to Grace for a while, and he had kind of walked away, and his name was given to me by a friend of his, and he said, hey, contact Pastor Jim. So he contacted me, and we emailed, and I said, hey, come into my office and meet. So he came in, and he shared his story, and for about a year of his life, he was in a very, very dark place, very, very low. I'll leave it there. And he had been making choices to pull himself away from community, to pull himself away from God, to pull himself away from accountability. And he was in a dark place, desperate, and even not really a form of godliness. But he knew he didn't want to remain there. So as we continued to talk, shared some things, he repented of his sin, recommitted his life to Christ, and then I encouraged him. I said, I looked at him and I said, it's in order for bad to end, good must come into play. In order for good to happen, bad must stop. And so you need to make some decisions. So I encourage you. I said, put yourself in community. Surround yourself in a local church where there's brothers bumping on you and sisters bumping on you, encouraging you, asking how you're doing. Put yourself in community where you're praying and others are praying for you. Make sure you show up, worship God, and begin a new path. Make a decision today to change the direction of your life. He did that. And about three months ago, he began coming to Grace, and he sits in the first service, right where Tony is seated at right now, second chair. And if you were to look at this man today, I also encourage him, I said, come along with us, walk on this journey of Fight Club with us, come with us, be in community, you'll be challenged and you'll grow. He is a completely different man. In order for bad to end, good must come into play. He made decisions, and now we get to see him tonight at graduation, and he is more alive in Christ than he has ever been. We can praise God for that. But keep in mind, for good to start in your life, bad must end. This story will play that out in such a clear way. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. Or open up your mobile device. Turn to the book of Ruth. Joshua, you'll see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Ruth. So grab it. Joshua judges Ruth. You'll see it and grab it. Stand up. Let's read verses 1 to 5. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in a country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrahites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. You may have a seat. But as you have a seat, we're going to see this. Sinful patterns lead to troublesome lives. When we make sinful choices, that creates chaos and trouble in our life. It's important to set the context here when we open up and do a book study. So for sake of context, what was happening in the land with God and his people during this time? I'll show you. Turn back one page if you have a written copy of the Bible. If not, go to Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. This is the last verse of Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. This sets the mood, the context, and the culture and what was happening during this story of Ruth. Look what it says in verse 25. In those days, Israel had no what? What's it say? Everyone did as they what? What's it say? Saw fit. So let's create the picture. Here's, out of this comes a group of people who had no king. Now let me help you understand what that meant. Judges were political leaders. We're familiar with one f- familiar judge. His name was Samson. They weren't necessarily spiritual leaders, but they were political leaders. They made sure the laws of the land were in play. So during this time, there wasn't a king that was ruling over Judah, over Bethlehem. But there was a judge that was ruling. However, it says that the people did whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. In other words, I will do whatever I want. So Elimelech, who's married to Naomi. Every time I think of it, I think of Naomi Solomon. God bless you, Naomi. It's going to be hard to get by this today without you. And she had, they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. And Elimelech looks, there's famine in the land. And he's going to make a choice for his family That is a sinful choice that will later impact all of his family. It's important for us to to see what these names mean in Hebrew. Because in a Jewish culture, when you had a child, you would give birth to a child. And before you gave birth, you, you, you had a son's name and a daughter's name. And so then you would pray that characteristic, that quality, over your children. As a parent, you would pray that over into their adult years. I said this earlier, but Ann and I, we, we chose to give our children Hebrew names. Joshua, Hannah, and Isaiah. And the names have special meaning to us. And we researched the names. We were looking for names that had these characteristics. And we've been praying those characteristics over our children and even into their adult years. So it's important that we look at these names because this is what was intended for these children as they become adults. The name Elimelech, his name means God is my king. So they were praying that over him. The name Naomi means friend or friendship. She was great at loving on people and building friendships. And so they would pray that over her, help her to be a godly friend to others. The name Malon, one of the sons, is unhealthy or sickly. Unhealthy or sickly. 
Kilion, his name means puny. So I say, just call him sick and sicker. Ruth's name, her name means beautiful or glamorous. The name Orpah means fawn or doe or deer. So these names meant something. So we're going to see if they live up to their names. So verse 2, look what happens in chapter 1. It says this, the man's name was Elimelech, and it says this, his wife's name was Naomi, and his, the names of his two sons were sick and sicker. They were from Ephrodites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to where? What does it say? Moab. I want to stop the story right there and say, no! Don't go there! There's no way that a God follower, Yahweh, Jehovah child, should ever go to Moab. And we're going to see in a moment. Everything goes south with this decision. And the reason is because they were having a family meeting the night before. And dad looks at his two sons, Malon and Kilion, and he looks at his wife and says, Hey, there is famine in the land. And our best bet is to pack our bags up in the morning and to leave this place we called home, leave our small group, leave our local church, leave our accountability partners, leave our fellowship and the deacons that are over us, and leave God's sanctuary, and let's travel to this place called Moab. It'd be like us today saying, me sitting with my family saying, kids, and we are flying to Qatar, and we're going to become Hindus, and the reason we're leaving is because the shawarma is good there, and there's plenty of food. They were willing to leave because they were hungry. And the reason he made that decision was he felt like, I won't die if I go to Moab. But there were Jewish and Levitical laws that were set into place by God's people that they should never, ever go to the land of Moab. And the truth is, when you see famine in the Bible... Every time, 13 times in the Old Testament, famine appears. And the reason famine appears in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it was always God's judgment on his people. It was his way of saying, get right, get right, get right with me. I'm disciplining you. And so the reason that famine was there, he should have had this conversation at the table. Listen, we need to check our hearts. Maybe we're the cause of this famine in the land. Let's get right with God. Let's make sure we're filled up with him. Let's don't run from hardship and suffering. And we know this to be true. God often uses suffering in our lives for him to gain our attention, doesn't he? We just saw that in the book of Habakkuk that we just came out of. So he says, let's go to Moab. They had a God called Kamash. And basically, here's what he said. Naomi, Malon, Kilion, let's leave the security, and the provision of our God, let's go be devil worshipers, but we'll eat good. I'm the dad. Instead of God being my king, I'm going to be king of us. So he packs up his family, moves away from everything. He's not living up to his name, which is God is my king, and he begins the trek to Moab. Everything is wrong with this picture because the father leaves And when the father leads, everything goes south if he chooses to go south. It seems appropriate today as I was planning for this and and putting this in place, I didn't realize that the very Sunday that we're talking to men in graduation tonight, this passage is so applicable to how men and fathers make an impact on their families. Let me just say that, guys, we are the thermostats of the spiritual temperature of our families. 
whatever your, your temperature is for Christ, that will be the temperature of your family. And so if you're hot for Jesus, you're going to be making hot decisions for Jesus. If your temperature is cold because you're the patriarch, then you will end up in places and your family will end up in places paying for your decisions. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 3, here's what we know from, from law of the day. It says, do not marry Moabites. No follower of God should marry a Moabite. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. 400 years you should not be able to enter the assembly of God. And Elimelech knew that. Yet he chose to leave the comforts of his church, the gathering of the saints, the small groups, the deacons, the elders, the family, the training camps, the fight club camaraderie, and he chose to put his family in a city that had nothing to do with God. Why? Because he was hungry. Exodus chapter 20. If you read Exodus chapter 20, it's where the Ten Commandments are found. And if you walk down to verses 5 and 6, it says this. The sins of the father will be passed down to the third and fourth generation. Think about this for a second. That means the decisions that he made that night around the family table in Judah, and he said, we're packing our bags in the morning, that sinful decision that he's making for his family, that bad decision he's making will be passed down to the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. God has given us an incredible opportunity to impact the future generations for Jesus. In that same passage, you know what it says? It says that those that follow God serve him and love him, that for a thousand generations of blessings will come upon the great, 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 great grandchildren if there's a godly father that begins it. That's the impact that we can have on our family. Dads, fathers, hear me out. The way you live matters to someone that you'll never meet. Your name carries weight for a thousand generations for Jesus. So it makes it important for us to choose to do what God wants us to do. Stay away from the Moabites. Listen, men, future husbands, you and I are the first line of defense. Isn't that what Nehemiah 4, 14, fight for your brothers, sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes? Nothing more disappointing than to watch a man who once marched on the front lines of life curl up, lose the staples of courage, bravery, boldness, commitment, strength, honor, valor, and the stuff that godly men are supposed to be made of and live as a coward. If you go to the list in Revelation, and it says that these are the characteristics of people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. You know what's at the top of the list? Cowards. As we saw in this video, Chad, he asked his wife the hard question, I need to know that you know Jesus. He was leading his family. I need to know that you know Jesus. He asked his son, I need to know that you know he asked his daughter, and because he was willing to lead his family in a Christ-like way, guess what happened? Trevor Welding knows the Lord. It's an awesome responsibility that God has given us. So I would say, man up and save your family, your dignity, your name, God's name. Listen to me. In this room, we need to do what is right. Be the spiritual leader of your home and the workplace. Some of us put more effort into getting fit Physically, then we get getting fit spiritually. You could bench press 600 pounds and go to hell. 
And so could your families. Elimelech made a horrible decision by sending his family to Moab. Do the right thing. We need some modern day heroes. Some godly men like Hebrews chapter 11. And we need to be saying this, God, if you're not in it, then we don't want it. So picture this. His family goes on the road, and because of the distance, 30 to 50 miles, depending upon where they were in Bethlehem and how far west they were in Moab, it probably took them five to seven days. So they packed their luggage, and they walked for five to seven days to Moab. And watch what happens to the sons. Look at the decisions that they make. Verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Verse 4, they married Moabite women. What? One was named Orpah, and the other was named what? What's it say? Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. I want to say, what in the world's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Like father, like son. Monkey see, monkey do. You watch it happen all the time. You show me a man that's living for Jesus, and he's got a son or daughter around him. I love watching some of the things that happen with men. You'll see sons and daughters walking behind him. If, if that dad is in God's word, reading God's word, and that child is little, that child will come up alongside, and they'll be in God's word. If that, ch- if that dad is getting fit physically, and he's doing push-ups or set-ups, and he's jogging, guess what happens? That child comes alongside him because they are doing what their dad is doing. If you want to impact their future generations, listen to me. Live a life that reflects Jesus, and your children will too. The sins are passed down. Sick and sicker die. We have a chance to break the chains, though. And some of us have been handed stuff from our fathers and their fathers and their fathers. And the good news is this. Today, we can break those chains and repent of our sins. And we can impact the future generations by saying, God, not on my watch. I choose to follow you today. Think about it this way. You get married, and maybe this was your path, and it isn't for everyone, but suppose God chooses his path. You get married, and you and your wife are doing well, and, and you decide that you like to have children, and by God allows you to have kids, and so you're excited, and the, your wife's getting pregnant, and the baby's about to be born, and so you go out and buy a minivan, get rid of the sports car. You know that transition that you make, like, and you try to put sporty wheels on it. It's still a minivan, I want to tell you. <laughs> And so you go out and you buy a car seat and you get a car seat and you're excited and your wife's getting closer to her, her, her day to, be, to, to give birth and man, you can hardly believe you're going to have a child and you've been praying for the child and you've been thinking about the child and so she begins going to labor and so you got her in the van and, and you take her to the hospital and you open up the door and you help her out and, and as she's walking in, she's having labor pains and she's dilating and think, oh man, I hope she doesn't have it in the parking lot. And so you, you walk inside and finally you get to the room and the doctor comes in and you're there, you're the dad and she's the mom and this baby is born. It's like this incredible moment. It's like there's the baby that, that, that you've been longing for. There it is. And if you're not walking with Jesus, here's what it looks like. You walk up to this baby, the son or daughter, And you say this, I love you. This is the best day of my life. You're here. Look at you. You're beautiful. And if you're not walking with God, you you say this to him. 
Welcome to the world. Here's my gift to you as the father of the family. I want to give you drunkenness. I want to give you drugs and gossip and slander and pride and lust and adultery. And Hey, happy birthday. That's what we do. That's what you do. That's what happens when your child is born. The sins of the fathers are passed down. You, you say, here, welcome to Goshen, Indiana. Here's my name. This is what is attached to this name. Here, here, we're going to move us from Judah, and we're going to go to Moab. Here, welcome to a life of hardship and because of my life. Or you walk up to your child and say, welcome to the world, honey, son. You got my name. This is my gift to you before you were even born. This is what your name means. Faithfulness, dignity, godliness, commitment. You will cherish your wife. You will love your kids. You will stand up when no one else is willing to stand out for Jesus. Your life will be different because of the way I chose to live. Welcome to Goshen, Indiana. Let me ask you a question. What did you hand your kids? Better yet, what will you hand your kids? You see, it matters how we live. Elimelech says, sons, this is what I hand you. And you know what happened? They did the same thing their dad did. They married Moabite devil worshipers. Why? Because monkey see, monkey do. As the father goes, the family goes. He had an opportunity at that decision the night before, say, even though I'm starving, and even though there's no food on the table, I will praise God, and he will supply, and we will make it in his strength. And even if we die, loving Jesus is better than worshiping Kamash. Amen? God has given you a precious kid and your, your children. Lead them to Jesus, not away from them. See, the sons didn't practice faithfulness either. At some point, you must stand and say, not on my watch. Let me ask you, we'll make it practical. Do you think, fathers, fathers that are in here, fathers, is it a good thing for your Christian daughter to date an unbeliever? Yes or no? No. (laughs) It's not too loud, is it? Answer my question. Is it a good thing for your Christian daughter to date a non-believer? No. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys last night let your daughters go to a prom with a, a man that doesn't know Jesus? Oh, he's nice, though. He's a good guy. Oh, he's, he's so kind. And he has a cool car. And Oh, his parents, they're great people. How many of you let your daughters... Go to the prom with a 16, 17, 18-year-old, 15-year-old boy who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens when you dance? Oh, he's fine. He's an innocent guy. You know what happens when you get close to each other and your bodies hit together and rub together when you're dancing? You know what happens? There's this thing called sparks. And you know what happened to your daughter's heart? 
when she feels something she hasn't felt, and this guy is all dressed up, he's got a nice vehicle, he's holding her hand, he hands her flowers, and she walks out to the dance floor in front of the spotlights, and she feels like she's Cinderella. You know what happens to her heart? It begins to do things that it never did before. And all of a sudden, this chemistry is unloaded in her body towards this non-believing man. And you know what? You let it happen. It's your fault. Uh Uh-uh. Not on my watch. You see, because the decisions that you make will impact your children's future. You know what that might mean? It might mean this, that your daughter is angry with you. But dad, he's the captain of the baseball and basketball. But dad, he sings in the choir and his voice is like the old Donny Osmond. (laughs) And his smile, but dad, he's so kind. A dad that loves his daughter and loves his God tenderly grabs a hold of his daughter and says, honey, I can't let you do this. I'm not going to let you do this. I love you too much, even if it means you're mad at me until you leave the house. And hopefully there will be a day that you'll come back and you'll say, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. You see, that's what men of God do. They don't have a a team meeting with their family, and the next day they, they travel to Moab against God's will. The very thing and reason they left, think about this, the very reason that Elimelech left Judah, it's because he didn't want to die. What happened to him? They all what? Died. John says something about this. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 5 in the the New Testament. Hold your finger here in Ruth. Just look at two verses, but this is important in the context of this message. We'll bring it home to us. Let's just drive it home and see what John said in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5. Here, Here it is. It matters the decisions that we make. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 says this. It says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to what? What's it say? Death. You should pray and God will give them what? What's he say? Life. He says, I refer to those who sin does not lead to what? So there are sins that don't lead to death. Then he says this. There is a sin that leads to what? Death. And he says, I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Here's what this means. Bring it home to today, Grace Community Church, April the 28th, you today. You can know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You can have a point in time where you knew that you knew. You can trust in God, and you are his child. But there can be a point in your life that you're so far away from God that you're making sinful choices, that you're turning your back on your mother and your father, and you're not obeying God, that you get so far from looking like a believer, you're still saved, that God himself will allow that to be a sin unto death, and he will take your life on planet Earth. Now, let me pull away. That's actually an act of grace because your next breath is in the presence of God in eternity. But you'll stand wishing that you would have lived differently. I've often wondered that. Maybe you have too. You see these people who are Christ followers. 
Man, they were all in. They were leading studies. They were out on blitzes, and they were serving. They were worshiping. They were giving. They were, they were leading people to Christ. And then, and, and then you see this drift that takes place, and you see them like, what are you doing in Moab? You're a believer. Like, get out of Cutter. What are you doing there? And you remember, and then there's this death. I'll admit, there have been times in my life that I've wondered, was that the sin unto death? I don't know the answer to that. Only God knows. But it matters how we live. The saddest part of this story, and I'm telling you, I was so angry righteously this week, is now we have three widows alone, and they don't have a plan in place. These husbands left their wives behind with nothing. Let me speak today. Husbands, hear me out. If you don't have a life insurance plan and you don't have a will for your family, then you aren't leading the family like God wants you to lead them. Did you hear me? You should have a life insurance policy so that when you die, your wife can go for a period of time. You should have a will so that the will's not sent to the state and they'll make the sermons with it. Listen, go to LegalZoom.com. It costs $75 for a will. You can do it in 20 minutes, and don't do it during the message. <laughs> LegalZoom.com. And you say, Pastor Jim, I don't have $75. Go get a part-time job and lead your family. It ticks me off. There's these precious women. The men left them with nothing. Why? Because of one decision made by a father 10 years prior. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, if you're a Moabite, you can't worship in a house of believers. Watch what happens. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there with her and two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. It's one of the saddest pictures in, in Scripture. Naomi experienced a funeral, now two more funerals. The husbands didn't leave anything behind for the cost of the funerals. And she wants to go back. They're alone, they're broken, they're barren, they're hopeless. One's from a foreign country. No one wants to love them. No church family. There's no small group. There's no pastor there to do the funerals. The husbands made horrible decisions. And so they're left alone, hopeless. And it makes me angry that men do that kind of stuff. Let me pull back here and just speak to our precious women of Grace Community Church. Let me just begin by saying this. The king is enthralled with your beauty. If you're a man and you're dating a man, hear me out, and he is not leading you spiritually, hear me out, and he's pushing you for sex, run. 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 
you don't need a man like that right now. Why do I say that? Because there are hundreds of men in this community and in Grace Community Church who are single, that love Jesus, who will cherish you, who will hold you up, who will lead you to Jesus, and who won't push you for sex. They will protect your virginity. And that's what godly men are supposed to do. Amen? Amen. Hear me out. You might need to have a conversation with the dude that you're dating. And you might need to say, this needs to stop or we will stop. In order for bad to stop, good must surface. And this will never stop and will remain far away from God. You see, I love you too much to not tell you the truth. Quit settling. I'll say it this way. It's, it's a line that I've used before. Ladies, quit settling for butt steak and wait on prime rib. <laughs> you are better off single. Hear me out. And end up with a man that loves Jesus than to find security in the arms of someone who will never lead you to Jesus. Your identity and your security should be in Christ alone. You don't need a man to complete you. You've already been completed in Christ. Amen? Watch what happens next. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husband's question? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. By the way, that upsets me. That just makes me righteously angry. Why did the Lord's hand turn against Naomi? Because of Elimelech. It ticks me off. Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. I want to say this. Naomi's not a very good evangelist, by the way. Go back to Kamash. <laughs> Read on. Look what happens. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, by, by the way, this is the most beautiful passage in Scripture of clear repentance and salvation that you will find on the pages of Scripture. It won't get any clearer than this. Watch this. Naomi, here is this from Ruth. Don't urge me, Ruth said. To leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will what? What's it say? And what you, where you stay, I will what? Your people will be my people and your God what? My God. Where you die, I will what? And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Here's what happens. Let me show you what happens. Ruth... A Moabite has watched something in Naomi's life. She had developed a friendship with her that she wanted. And she realized that this God that they were worshiping in in Moab was not doing for her what he could do for her because he's a stick of wood. And she repents of her sins. She repents and says, your God will be my God. She trusts 
in Yahweh, she turns from bad to good, and everything's about to change for her. It's the clearest picture of repentance in Scripture, a foreigner coming to God. And let me give you a little tidbit here that just bothers me. Ruth and Naomi now are making the trek back to Judah. Five to seven day trip. They are willing to walk back to Judah. Women by themselves. Widow, barren, hopeless, penniless, homeless. Yet these two sons that were sitting at the table with their dad that went to Moab, they weren't willing when they were looking for wives to make the trek back to Judah because that's five to seven days. We'll just marry a Moabite woman. Man, Moabite women, yeah, they're good looking. Instead of doing what God wanted them to do, they end up staying there because they weren't willing to walk five to seven days. Let me say something, man. If you have to fly to the other side of the world, if you have to have a long-distance relationship because there is a woman that loves Jesus, Open up your wallet, fly there, drive there, court them. Listen to me, it is worth the long ride, the flight, the walk to find a godly woman that will faithfully serve him. Can I get an amen? For good to start, bad must end. Ruth made that decision. Can I ask you a question? What must end in your life for good to start? What relationship is toxic? What addiction, what hang-up, what habit do you secretly do? Listen, and if you're doing it and you're the father, you are passing your sins down to the third and fourth generation to come. Where do you need to have a closure conversation Where do you need to close the door to this bad decision in your life and turn from it like Ruth and repent and make a good decision? In order for good to surface, bad must stop. Where do you need to have a closure conversation in a dating relationship? Where do you need to have a closure conversation in a a habit or a hang-up or an issue in your life? Watch what happens next in verse 19. So the two women went on on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was what? What's it say? Stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Like, it's been 10 years. Man, she doesn't look so good. Can this be Naomi? They left Moab so they wouldn't die, and now all three men are dead, and the ladies are heading back, and God's judgment is on Naomi because of the husband's decision. Look what Naomi says in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very what? Okay, why? Because of the husband's ungodly lifestyle. Verse 21, she says this, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back what? Empty. Why call me Naomi? 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. And I'm so angry when I read that. Here's this precious woman that was sitting at the supper table and her husband says, I'm going to lead our family to a foreign country. I'm going to pull us out of community of a church. I'm going to pull us away from love and support because we're hungry and it'll be good. We need to go there so we don't die. He ends up dying for it. And now the Lord puts his affliction upon her because of him. Ticks me off. So picture this point. Let's just bring it home right now. Can you picture this, these two precious women coming home? By the way, she's a Moabite. <laughs> she has a different skin color. They know that she's a Moabite, and Moabites can't go in the house of the Lord. <laughs> Unless, we'll see in a few messages later, something takes place. She takes a huge risk leaving her country because she says, even if they reject me, I will stand for God. She was willing to do what Elimelech, Malion, and Kilion weren't willing to do, stand for God. So picture them. They're coming back. Imagine for a second. Now, Ruth's going to be looking for a husband. Imagine her going to ChristianMingle.com. Can you imagine this, 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 this pickup line? Penniless, poverty-stricken, Moabite homeless, and if that isn't enough, you get a bitter mother-in-law with me. <laughs> Looking for man with job. <laughs> but our God is so good. That's why I love our God. You see, our God can take wastelands and bring fresh flowers from the dirt of the ashes of toxins. <laughs> I love this verse, verse 22. It's like, here it is. Here, Finally, Pastor Jim, you're giving us some hope. Holy cow, we had to wait till the last verse. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was what? What's it say? Woo! <laughs> food! They left because there wasn't food. And God says, come on back. Hope coming from the land. There will be food. You will be cared for. Hope comes from the ashes. Listen to me. Our God is willing to remove us from the patterns that we've been in if we're willing to repent. And when we repent, there is hope available to those that are in Christ. Amen. Amen. And next week, she just happens to be in a field that there's this godly man very godly man named Boaz. <laughs> and Boaz <laughs> sees this beautiful <laughs> woman who is torn and battered and beaten, and he sees her like Christ sees her, beautiful, enthralled with beauty, identity, powerful, and he sees her in the field Watch out, Ruth. God is on the move. Hope will be coming from the barley harvest in Jesus' name. Oh, God, help us. 
I pray, God, today that we would always serve you. Help us to realize that our decisions matter. That we should say, here's my life. If you're not in it, I don't want it. In order for good to start, bad must end. I pray, God, that we'd be willing to have closure conversations today. I pray that we'd be willing to do the hard things and repent. God, you honor repentance, God. And I pray, God, that we'd be willing to even suffer for a while if that's the season you have in us in and know that we can trust you. And that even if the, the fields are empty and the cattle are gone, God, we will lift your name and praise your name because you are with us. I pray for fathers and men that would live for righteousness and holiness and godliness so that the thousand generations to come would be blessed because of their faithfulness. Help us, God, to do what is right and not to follow our own selfish desires. In Jesus' name, amen.